You want to make sure you support them, not just in the things that we kind of know how to do with kids, which is, you know, the things we can see, the skills, the techniques, the knowledge of the game, but really in the emotional side too. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Kieran Kortitala on Illuminated Podcast. I have with me an author and exciting guest, David Levin. David Levin has a great story. In 1992, David was struggling, was a struggling singer, songwriter whose career and life were going nowhere. But then he had a surprising Visit of the Oz moment that changed the course of his life forever. He discovered the three fundamental skills for personal development, cognitive control, emotional self-regulation, and impulse control. To help coaches and athletes benefit from his blueprint and tools, he founded the Raise Your Inner Game Sports Academy. Every coach wants their athletes to reach their full potential. Indeed, that's the whole purpose of coaching. The problem is a lot of times the athlete's mental game is holding them back and the coach simply doesn't have much available to help with that. So the athlete continues to struggle and the situation just gets more and more frustrating and everyone involved. David has a great formula to solve this problem and his, his the motto of raise your inner game is not only a coaching method, but also a book now. David, welcome to Illuminated Podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So this is a very opportune conversation because there is so much focus on learning to play a game, whether your kid is three years old or 18 years old. Uh, because if you think about it, um, and again, my son, my, my son is 18 now in college and my daughter is 15, a sophomore in high school. However, you know, neither one of them are good enough to get a sports scholarship, but that's every parent's dream. Every parent starts their kids to learn tennis, football, soccer, ping pong, you know, you name it, or golf, uh, if they're rich, <laughs> and <laughs> their entire dream is saying, you know, maybe my kid is not going to be great at studies to win a scholarship, but if I can make him a, him or her a great volleyball player or a tennis player, I will get them successful. Because that's that's a huge focus for parents right? But they struggle because the kids are elementary school kids or middle school kids with everything going on. So as a sports coach, what are some of the ideas you have for parents who want their kids to be like a professional player, but they don't know how to help them? Well, uh, my first impulse is to give you an answer that you're probably not expecting, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> which is to say, well, a couple of things come to mind. The first is, um, my sense is, I mean, you mentioned being professional, although the other one, the other goal was maybe getting into college and a scholarship. Right. For anybody to be that good at something is going to take a major commitment on their part. And they've got to really want to do it. I just, I really do generally discourage parents from pushing kids at that level. I mean, if they're naturally drawn to it and they just want to play all the time, want to practice all the time, that's fantastic and support them as you know every way you can but to but to sort of like i say push them and and expect it and demand it um to to again to play it whether anything i mean we, our kids both play cello and um just to to play at the level to get a scholarship at it is just so overwhelming it's just i, I i'm among the other things that didn't mention in my bio is that i've been involved in simplicity parenting for uh, eight, 10 years now, which is uh, just this beautiful model for parenting. And one of their foundational tenets is kids really need to have real childhoods. And uh, and those are, you know, they their interests are all over the map. They're into one thing for six months or three months or one month, and then they're into the next. And that's they're that way because that's what's, what's going on for them developmentally at those times. So to push a kid, to focus mm -hmm. so much on one thing, I would really be very cautious about it. I, again, I would let them lead. But yeah. if they do want to do it, um, and some kids do, they're just, it's what they love, you know, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. Um, you want to make sure you support them, and this comes into my realm, 
not just in the things that we kind of know how to do with kids, which is, you know, the things we can see, the skills, the, the techniques, the knowledge of the game, but really in the emotional side too. One of the big loads with kids in sports is that it's a, it's a huge emotional load. Mental, yeah. I mean, we call it the mental game, but there's, there's multiple aspects of the mental game um, that we don't, again, like you mentioned in the intro, we don't have much to help them with. But it's really, really critical, especially as they get up higher. If they're if they're really into it and they're following along and they're getting into the high school and upper high school, the varsity kind of things, maybe even college, um, the demands are of any kid at that age, any teenager, just mm -hmm. academically and socially are huge to add sports on top of that. It's just right. a lot for a kid to hold. So just make sure as their parent, as their support person, their coach too, that you're paying attention to uh, the mental and emotional side of it as you support them in that work. Yeah, that's, that's, first of all, I really commend you for um, not taking my bait, if you will, and say, <laughs> yeah, I want every parent to raise their kids to be a professional basketball player, football player. Uh, I really commend you for like kind of setting the expectations, if you will, because you're right. Uh, if you think about for every, I don't know, 10,000 kids that, want to be an NBA player in middle school, less than 300 of them, uh, they have any chance of even getting to an NBA level um, to a point where they'll be picked by a professional team. Uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure the, the statistics are even more starker than that. However, what I've seen, I think this is purely my personal experience, is that uh, we felt like we want to at least expose them to different games, uh, whether it is tennis, um, soccer, you know, we tried uh, even things, obviously basketball is what Warren settled in, but every game he played, it, it, did, it, did, it did a couple of things for Warren, my son, and also for me as a dad, because every game he picked up, it gave me an opportunity to do it with him, you know, whether it's learning tennis with him or um, trying to shoot trying to shoot basketball and failing miserably at it or, you know, golf as well. Uh, so mm -hmm. that gave me an opportunity to bond more. Uh, but also, you know, I think it, whether he became a, you know, he certainly is not in any team, but regardless of that, um, it gave him some pastime to do because I felt like, again, this is all anecdotal, people who don't have any sports interest whatsoever uh, for whatever reason, they end up resorting to things like, you know, video games or just mundaneness uh, rather than being physically excited. So I feel like that is something that is good, but I absolutely agree with you. No parents should force any kid to become a professional NBA player or, you know, whatever, uh, because that's just setting them up for failure. Yeah, well, I totally agree with that. There's a couple of things in what you said. Um, I do think we should encourage our kids, just as you say, to be active in sports for for all those reasons you mentioned there are the, the real beauty of i want to call it youth but that's not necessarily the right word but you know school sports is that yeah. they besides the just the activity and the health and the fitness part of it um they get a chance to learn life lessons and develop social skills that they wouldn't get anywhere else i mean we really do want to encourage our kids to participate but just just for that reason, just because you love it, because it's good for you, it's going to make you feel good, it's going to uh, expand your boundaries of just your own sense of what you're capable of. Potentially, it can do all that. But I would so the only piece I would caution against is let's do it because you it might get you into college or or for sure because you might become a pro. I want to add one more little thing to that. Um, at the pro level, um, I don't remember his name exactly. I think it was Michael Gervais, real uh, well known sort of elite level performance coach. He was talking about that question of kids wanting to become a pro. And, you know, obviously some kids just, that's what they want. They purely, that's their vision. And I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with it, but what he was saying was um, basically don't, don't have them do it. It's even, even for those, for those few, few, um, you know, elite athletes who can get into that level and actually play at a professional level. According to him, and he works with these guys every day, the actual lived experience is kind of miserable. The level of pressure, 
Like, for example, just it, it struck me because I don't have that sort of experience, but like a typical NFL player, their career window is basically about three weeks, meaning if their performance isn't up to its absolute best for a period of two or three weeks, they're on the bench. And a couple weeks after that, they're off the team. Anything goes wrong, anything, any, just the slightest little difference. So mm -hmm. their whole experience, their whole life vision, their whole self-identity is yeah. constantly at, at risk of being taken away. It's, it's, it's just so this incredible scary. level of pressure. And it's not just that, like you're right. I mean, the level of fear, you know, like for example, I'm a you know, CEO of a company and if my left arm stops working for whatever reason, I can type with my right arm or I don't know if both my arms fall, fall apart, I guess I can probably use my voice to make commands. There's so many ways <laughs> to communicate. Uh, but if you're a football player, you're, if you have a small toe injury, I am sure like it will impact your ability to perform at the level you are. I can't even imagine. And it, some, and it's not to say that just on every game you're exposed to it. So how do you get them like, be a stay excited um, about their passion and also how do you keep them from getting demotivated if something does happen as a performance coach to get them to like pick it back up and get back to their core peak performance if you will i think the normal sort of answers to those things are sort of inspirational sort of things you know give them change their perspective remind them that things are going well just the kind of things you might do as a, as a friend or a counselor or something like that. Um, our approach is actually quite different. Um, as you, as you asked the question, it occurs to me, we actually look to uh, the frame of our work is to reduce, hmm, how can I say this? To remove the things that are making it difficult for them. And here's what I mean. That, that, was, not, that was a terrible way to say it. <laughs> but mm. um, remove the blockers or hurdles well here's the, the real distinction with our work is that we we talk about the mechanics of the mental game uh versus again typically typical motivation uh typical sorry mental game work is motivational sort of stuff just you know saying stuff work harder you can do it i believe in you um you, you hear a lot of talk around visualization exercises and meditation but what we actually focus on is again the mechanics so what that means is Let's just say you're a basketball player, you're on the free throw line, and it's time to make the shot. And you're focused and you're present, and all of a sudden, something comes up in your mind. Oh, what's going to happen if I miss this? What's the coach going to think? What's my family going to think? What's the, you know, th these thoughts come up, or an emotion will come up, just a kind of unconscious fear or anxiety or something, or something in the physical realm, um, you know, a little some physical discomfort. In the moment, something comes up internally that pulls you away from being present and focused in the moment. That's the mechanics. So um, when, you're, when you're approaching it in a non-mechanical way, you would say to somebody, you would say to that kid on the free throw line, well, um, you know, what were you thinking? And they might say, I was worried about what the coach would think. And you would counter that thought. You would say, mm -hmm. well, don't worry about that or whatever. You know, you would you would engage sort of in a, a debate with the thought. But sure. when you look at the mechanical approach, let's say you and I are both playing basketball. <laughs> when I'm on the free throw line, the thoughts that come up for me are different from the thoughts that come up for you. But we both have thoughts coming up. That's the mechanics. So with a mechanics approach, we can just we can just train people to separate from the, the content of the thought from the actual idea itself and just observe oh something's coming up right now no we're not going to let that happen we're going to shut that down and get back mm -hmm. to being present and focused so yeah. that comes back to how i tried to answer the first when you say how can i help someone uh, stay positive i help them become aware of when the negative thoughts come up and just swat them away yeah. My experience has been both personally, anecdotally, and with the people I work with, our natural state, when we really are present and focused and doing what we enjoy doing, our natural state is to be positive. 
yep. and optimistic and to feel capable and confident and joyful. That's our natural state. It's when these things come up and remind us of things we're worried about or we're concerned about or we're afraid of or whatever it is that we get pulled down and feel burdened and negative and fearful. So it's really just a process of, again, getting control of all these things that pull us down. In the material we have, we call it inner gravity. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how it feels like it works. It's just this, this constant natural force that pulls us downward emotionally. We get a handle on that and we just mm -hmm. naturally feel, oh, I'm feeling great right now. I'm feeling like I can do this. So I heard somewhere, uh, David, I think whatever you're saying is absolutely correct. This idea of, you know, having, being joyful is a normal state uh, or the normal state is something that we kind of almost think of it as, you know, that's a foreign concept, you know, because there is this idea that at least, at least in the European tradition, um, ever since nihilism started, uh, there's the idea that life is, suffering or nothing but suffering i'm sure nietzsche would doubt uh would argue with you but you know to to agree with you like there is some i was reading something about samurais and samurai warriors are known for their mythical toughness uh there are stories on how they can stay under you know ice cold water for days or uh, not eat for weeks and stuff like that but but regardless of the myth about it they did have this idea that health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, not merely the absence of disease or infirmity, right? Because I think that's kind of the idea that you're talking about, where it's the happiness is not just about having everything you need and uh, just being happy about it. Happiness is about not having any of these and still being happy about it. How, how do you how do you say that without being like? sounding too cliche about it like how, how do you do that <laughs> that's a great question because it does sound so cliched i i i agree with you I, I have the same struggles myself with how to describe it um but i really believe it's true and not it's not a belief it's it's an absolute experience and here's what i do i point out to people how they've experienced that themselves in their life when we think of these moments where we just feel great we, yep. No particular reason. A lot of times it's, it's different for different people. For me, uh, I have when I'm playing ping pong for some reason. Yeah. There's something about the, the quickness of that. Um, a lot of people have it being out in nature or being with you know young kids. But there's just these moments where we just feel at a higher level, where everything is beautiful and positive. And, you know, yeah. there's these states. Well, we don't have to do anything to get to those. They just that's what happens to us. That's what happens when we are fully present and engaged with mm. what's going on around us. That's the reason ping pong does it for me. It's because it's so quick. I can't really be in my head, you know? Right. And, and again, and for some people, it's running. For some people, it's biking, swimming, exactly. whatever. But yeah. that's the experience. If you, if you kind of drill down and just sort of do a um, just an observational exercise on what's going on in those moments, that's what you discover. I'm just not in my head. It's just that simple. Mm -hmm. So then... Um, and that comes back to this kind of mechanics-based work. Now, if I can just learn how to be more aware first and then have the skills, have the intention to, to shut those things down mm -hmm. when they start to pull us off, we just, over time, we just observe. It's just a fact yeah. that the more I feel just in the moment, now, mm -hmm. the more... I naturally have those other feelings we're talking about, that happiness, that joy, that purpose, that connection. Um, right. The thing that I think gets confused, and I've struggled with this myself over the years, is the phrase in the moment. Um, people take that to mean I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not taking seriously my responsibilities. You know, I'm not planning. Um, mm -hmm. So then it becomes like, well, what do you mean? You just can't always just be floating around with no goal, no plan, right? Mm -hmm. And I totally agree with that. I think there's something about the way we read that phrase in the moment, being present and focused, that that's just naturally confusing because of the the meaning of those words. But when you, again, look at it the mechanics way, mm -hmm. what it means is in the moment just is in contrast, in contrast to not being in the moment. Right. That's when it makes sense. When you're in the moment, and again, you, the basketball player is the perfect example. Here's a story I like to tell. is Michael Jordan, mm -hmm. um, you know, arguably the best player ever, um, famous for having this intense mental focus. Didn't matter what's going on. He is just 
drilled in, dialed into what's going on. He's also mm. famous for having for chewing these huge wads of bubble gum. You'd see uh, pictures of him on the sidelines, just these giant gobs of gum. And one time, um, a journalist asked him, "So I see you on the sidelines there, and you got that, you know, that big wad of gum you're chewing. What are you <laughs> thinking of on the sidelines during a big moment? Is it the next play? Is it the score? Is it your teammates? You know, is it what you're going to do? What are you thinking about?" And his answer was. I'm thinking about chewing my gum. <laughs> so so again, when you think what, what he's really saying, he's not thinking about anything, right? That pure state where you perform at your highest level, when you're having the most a high experience of yourself is when you're just in the moment. It's yeah. not that he, you know, so again, to contrast it, the contrast to that is I'm thinking about other things. I'm thinking right. about whatever's on my plate, whatever's on my mind, whatever's coming up in my thoughts or my emotions or my body. So mm -hmm. that's where you, for me anyway, that's where I get really clear on the, the, the accuracy and the power of that call to be in the moment. It's not meaning I'm not going to plan for my life. It's just mm -hmm. what's happening right now. It, you know, yeah. So in the moment just means I can be present with whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And then, and sometimes what I'm doing is planning for the future, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm sitting down, I'm doing my due diligence, I'm doing my mental work. And when yeah. that happens, you also need to have that mental focus so you can stay on there rather than have your thoughts drift off to something else, the game coming up or what's going on at home or whatever. Sure. So, so no, anyway. I 100% I agree with you. I, I, again, I'm not sure if you read uh, Eckhart Tolle's uh, Power of Now or heard any of his uh, discussions. They are very much reminiscent of what you're talking about. And, and I think I'll kind of take my own personal growth, if you will, while I was learning to play golf, is that anytime the rule for golf is never think about your last mistake or never think, never even think about your next stroke. You only think about that stroke and that's it that's the only way you can it's not even performing better or um it's really just a binary thing with, with binary, golf it's like very binary you either hit it good or you suck at you know hit it bad that's it there's no middle ground there because golf is a game of precision so i was thinking well you know this is a great great way to really enforce the power of now i'm still going towards a target I'm still trying to achieve something, but I'm doing it by being present at every stroke. Um, you know, again, I'm not saying I'm good at golf or something, but at least I know how to be good at it. That's the first step. But I was listening to some podcasts recently, and they were talking about just like your Michael Jordan example, where Broadway actors have this moment where they're going on stage performing, and they're also to a point where sometimes they can get lost where they were they're saying they're singing let's say hamilton if you if you will lynn manuel miranda is being, singing this great rap and while singing it he's starting to sometimes see it's not exactly him but somebody some broadway actor they dozed off and started thinking about you know what should i make for dinner tonight <laughs> so the moment you do that you kind of lose attention of what you're doing whether you're playing golf or playing basketball or obviously um, be on Broadway. So I agree with you completely. Power of now or in the moment is what you need, whether you're having fun with your kids or performing at the peak of your spirit. So the key question is, how do you train that? How do you help people get there? Um, are there like drills that you do? Is it therapeutic? Is it meditation? Can you talk to us about like how we can achieve that state um, as a child or a middle middle schooler or, you know, a professional player. Yeah, well, that's that's what we do. Um, this, I first laid this sort of these ideas out in the book, Raise Your Inner Game. And then, as you mentioned, developed it into the full training, the Raise Your Inner Game Sports Academy. Um, there's two steps to it. The first, the really fundamental thing first, and you mentioned this in the intro, my Wizard of Oz moment. I didn't really talk, you know, we didn't flesh that out. But basically, it is having the experience, not just hearing me say it and saying, oh, that makes sense to me, but actually having the sort of aha experience 
of observing your thoughts coming up and pulling you away from whatever it is you want to, wherever you want to be in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we really make it, we frame it in a way that I really want, encourage people to, uh, to imagine there's a second person in there. You know, if you were standing on the street corner waiting for the bus and somebody came up to you and started talking to you mm -hmm. the way the thoughts pop up in your head now, uh, you would react to them quite differently. Right? Right. You're, probably, you're probably too polite, but you'd want to say, shut up, stop that. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's exactly what happens to us. We're in the moment and all of a sudden there's this voice saying, you can't, what are you, are you serious? You can't do that. You're going to make a fool of yourself. Um, so I try and have them experience those, that actual moment. We call them inner game moments where it's either their thoughts or an emotion or something physical actually comes up. So basically we're slowing that tape down and helping them see that we have specific exercises to help them have that experience. And just the simplest kind of example would be just sit quietly for a moment and just pre uh, pretend you're like a bird watcher. You're just sitting on a bench at the park mm -hmm. or maybe you're pe people watching. You're just sitting there quietly and somebody comes by and you go, oh, there's, there's a person <laughs> and there's another person. And just observe your thoughts coming and going. Don't engage with them. Don't get wrapped up in that thread. Don't judge them. Just, huh, what thoughts are coming up now? Just that kind of a simple exercise. And so the purpose of the exercise is not just to see it. And here's the real kicker, but to really feel that there's this difference between that and me, myself. Mm. Uh, there's a different, uh, another way I say this is, there's a difference between thinking and hearing thoughts. Right. When you're sitting there on that park bench watching thoughts go by, you're hearing thoughts. They're coming from somewhere else. So back to the Eckhart sort of language, I'm actually having them experience the duality, the essential duality, that there's, there's a real them in there that's perceiving these things coming up. And you can dig down, you can drill down on that by saying things like, for example, okay, so here's a thought that came up. Do you agree with it? Even just that question, just to contemplate that a thought could come up in your own mind that you disagree with mm -hmm. makes real that there's a you distinct from that thought, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's the first one. Once people see that, and by the way, I want to make one little um, sort of background connection. This is very similar to the story that came up uh, in sports way back in the 70s, a famous mm -hmm. book called The Inner Game of Tennis. Have you ever heard of that book? Mm -mm, no, I should check it's, it out. It's the definitive work for this kind of thing. It's pre-Eckhart, sports-focused. But mm -hmm. it was this a famous tennis coach, Timothy Galway, and he was observing his players beating themselves up when things went wrong. What's wrong with me? You're such an idiot. What, you know, what, why can't you, you know, that kind of typical thing you'd expect to see. And sure. all of a sudden he clicked like my Wizard of Oz click. And he's like, wait a second, who are they talking to? There are two people in there. <laughs> That's the observation. So you ask the question, how do you train it? Step one is to have them have that experience. It's just to walk right. them through a process where they see it and they, it's not like, okay, I hear what you say. I remember like, I'm going to take a test. It's like, oh my goodness, you're right. That is what happens inside of me. I see it. I recognize it from constantly throughout my day. Once they get that, that's the foundation. And then we have, again, a series of exercises to help them make it feel more and more and more real. So that that idea that there's another person in there who doesn't really have their best interest at heart. Right. Uh, it's just it's just the most real thing in the world. And then once they've got that, mm -hmm. then there's a series of real simple sort of techniques that naturally grow from it. Like, for example, um, once you get that these thoughts are coming from kind of like someone else inside you, then it makes sense to, for me to say to you, we have a skill we teach called no quiet, no comma quiet. And all that means is you can probably figure it out already. You hear the voice come up and you say, no, quiet, not doing that now, not going to think about that now. And you shut it off and you're back present. It's just that simple. But and, and it, it's it's so simple, you can kind of walk past it and dismiss, and, and dismiss it until you've had that first experience. Once you really anchor that core experience of the duality, the dual nature, mm -hmm. then that actually makes sense to do. And all kinds of things flow from that. So we have a series of 
um, exercise and skills we give them in part two of the training. And then part three, we do a 28 day challenge where basically every day for four weeks, they just practice these things and, and make note in some sort of a journal what their experience has been. And again, the point of that is all just to get to the end of that period and it's just completely real and kind of second nature for them. Mm -hmm. No, I think uh, you're right. I mean, I totally kind of talks almost in the same in your Wizard of Oz moment where um, he went through like a lot of struggles. And at one point he contemplates uh, killing himself. And that's when uh, he looks in the mirror and says, this is not me. And that's when he come, he figures out that duality of there is a me and there is not me, right? Um, and if you read enough psychology, um, you know, there's this concept of id, which is, you know, in your example, the me, ego and superego and ego and superego always like make, and even Plato talks about the fact that, you know, your mind is like three horses, each pulling you in three different directions, but you have to come up with the balance to figure out yeah. to make these three horses going in the right direction. So that is, you know, whether you do it with, um, you know, mindful meditation or self-control, that's great. But I do like this idea of, um, you know, meditation, like you talked about sitting on a park bench, because I was practicing mindful meditation a couple of years ago. Um, and one of the things that they say is, a lot of times people, when they're meditating, um, even if it is just like doing a simple breath meditation, um, you're only focusing on intake of your breath and outtake. Every time a thought comes in, you say, oh my God, I got a thought or a bad thought or a good thought. So what they say is just acknowledge the thoughts and just kick them out. You know, having those thoughts is part of the process, whether they're good, bad or ugly, it does not matter. You're only there to acknowledge them and discard them, especially if you're in a mindful meditation space. And I, I think that's the same thing you're talking about with Park Bench. But again, it's all easier said than done, right? Especially if you're a 15 or 18-year-old kid uh, who's dealing with uh, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend issues or uh, grades issues, parenting, parents, um, whatever happening at their homes or dorms, if you will. Like, how do you kind of distill it? Like, what are some of the simple ways in which you can give them, take a step back, and here are the three things you can do, or five things, whatever that idea are. Can you talk to us, like, let's say, let's take the Michael Jordan moment. Um, a player comes to you in the middle of a game, a championship game, and says, you know, I'm freaking out. Coach David, help me get back to my baseline here. What, what can you yeah. tell them on the sideline? Well, that's one of the beautiful things about this. Um, once they get, oh, by the way, I, I hate to say this, the, your whole Eckhart uh, reference, I actually mentioned that in the book. I mean, that it was Eckhart and Timothy Galway and another guy, Rudolf Steiner uh, with Anthroposophy. Mm -hmm. um, those are absolutely where this concept came from. I mean, my own experience of it. Um, so it's, it's, this is definitely 100% in line with that. But I mean, there's um, nothing unique about even Eckhart's power of now concept like it is uh even it has been there again i'm not dissing him in any way i'm just saying this has been talked about for the last three thousand years exactly um, you know exactly. we just have to keep reminding ourselves exactly and and just to say just to, uh, close the loop on that this material this project the raise your inner game material is a very intentional project for me of taking that insight which you say wasn't unique to Eckhart, but i thought it, for me anyway he did make it clear for me in a way that I hadn't been clear before. It was very powerful for me. But yeah. I also started to pick up over the years since I first read the book that it was still couched enough in the language and the traditions and the perspective of sort of the New Age world that uh, probably the majority of people were never going to get it. They were never going to mm -hmm. get anywhere near it. So the, at the core of this material is just taking those things you say they're not new because they're so it is how we work it is self-evidently once you look at it how things work so i've just tried to distill that down into uh, a framework that gets to the complete truth of it without raising any flags for anybody taking right. away all those other parts all the uh you know sort of the 
Oh, religious element. Well, I know I, religiously, but all there's there's so many parts of it that really the more I thought about it, the more I drilled down on it, they're part of where it came from, part of where the insights came from, but they're not really essential to mm -hmm. the truth itself. So I was able to just distill and distill and distill just mm -hmm. to, like I say, just the pure observable mechanics. And sure. then just lay it out in a pretty clear, uh, understandable way. So what I wanted to say was to your question, the beauty of this is um, once they get that, they never forget it. You don't forget what's going on inside you. So they're I not going to ask that question is what I'm saying. Not much at all um, yeah. because they know what's happening. They're like, oh, yeah. So, I mean, the only thing that varies once you get, once you see what's happening, the only thing that varies is that the kinds of arguments that come up inside you, the kinds of things you hear, the kinds of things you feel, some of those have more power over you than others. Right. Certain kinds of situations are more inherently stressful and challenging and demanding and painful than others. And yeah. so you'll, you'll, you'll learn to discover that, oh, when I'm in this kind of a situation, I've got to bear down more intensely with the skills I've learned, the inner game skills that they learned in part two of the training. But the basic problem, I don't understand what's happening now. That question just doesn't come up. Once you've, the more you've done this, and it doesn't mm -hmm. take very long at all, it's just, it just doesn't take much reminding and support to keep it alive. Now we do encourage people to stay on track with things. I've got a thing I do, and I, I teach this in the material. I just call it the inner game tracker. And basically you just pick two or three things uh, that are positive in your life that you feel good about yourself when you do them, like maybe getting outside, like maybe spending some, you know, and then you pick one or two things that you know you'd feel better if you if you didn't do them, like mm -hmm. maybe reading too much news or eating a kind of food you don't want to eat. And you just give each one of them a column on a spreadsheet and you mark the days on the left and you just track. You set this intention on an ongoing mm -hmm. daily, weekly basis to stay focused and engaged on the things that make your life feel better and about yourself. And you just track mm. them and keep going. And also to keep some sort of a running inner game journal. I do this almost every day. Mm -hmm. I sit down and it's not how things are going necessarily. It's how am I doing with my inner game right now? What's, what's working? What am I struggling with? What do I need to do? So yeah. that's, that's just to keep it kind of around. Keep it in your mind and in your thoughts and, and, and to give you some perspective over time. But the actual work that needs to be done, it doesn't need much reinforcement. The way I frame this in the material is, uh, again, one of the beauties of this approach is that they get to the point very quickly where they can basically self-coach. They know what's mm -hmm. happening. They just need to maybe, like I say, bear down. And one more little uh, nuance to that. Mm -hmm. I say there are some times that are more demanding than others, that are more difficult to uh, stay where you want to be. An example for that for me, by the way, if I'm having a morning meditation, some days it's easy, you know? I mean, I can I can keep my thoughts pretty quiet. Other yeah. days, it's really, really hard. There's something that's on my mind that keeps coming mm -hmm. up and I got to keep shutting it down and shutting it down. Well, that to me, looking at that at kind of a meta level, says, oh, I'm in a high gravity period right now. Mm -hmm. There are just some things happening in my life situation that means I'm going to have to pay better attention to my inner game state and skills, or I'm going to get pulled off track. I'm going to have a hard time getting the work I want done. I'm going to have mm -hmm. a hard time being present with my people. I'm going to have a hard time transitioning from work to home and all that stuff. Right. So another, another example of that is um, with sports again. Um, some, you know, athletes train to a different level in the on season and the off season. Right. So, uh, the point I was, I'm not saying this very clearly, but sometimes a situation, a negative situation causes you to have to up your game. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just want to. You've got a, a tense project that demands your best creativity. You're working on a new book. You're working on a new rollout of a, a you know, a project. And you've really got to be focused and bring everything you've got to it. So during that period, you are more focused with your inner game strengthening skills. And then sure. you're on summer vacation. And you can coast a little bit and you don't have to worry about it every day. You don't have to meditate as often or whatever it is that works for right. you. But no, so that's a I long mean, way to answer your question. How do you help them uh, do it? It takes a, a surprisingly short amount of time till they can do it themselves. 
And then it's just sort of staying in it uh, as time goes on. It never really ends because mm -hmm. gravity never stops pulling on us. Yeah. Just to get a little more nuanced feel for when I need to up things and when I can coast a little bit. I agree with you completely. I mean, again, uh, as I said, I, I was saying that I was doing mindful meditation um, because initially it was kind of very challenging for me. But once I tapped into it, you know, I, it is a joke, but it's true. I feel like I'm always mindfully meditating in that mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. thoughts come in, I can pick it, throw it away, or just like there can be 100 different thoughts. I can still be present. Uh, and I think that's what it is. But coming back to like setting the baseline, I've, I've seen this with some sports people. Like, for example, um, when Nadal does it, obviously people don't, don't, it's a video, audio format, so people can't see it, but he pulls his nose, he uh, ups his, yeah. he touches his left hand, right hand, touches his right knee, left knee, and something does something on the racket and then hits it. I see baseball players always doing it where they oh. tighten their gloves. Um, so is that part of the idea to like reset your balance and do something that it's like a routine or is that just I'm overreading it? No, 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 it totally can be. I mean, once you, again, once you get what needs to be done, which means I need to be able to somehow set those things aside and be focused. There are all kinds of ways to do it. I think when you use our approach, you might not need those kind of things, but they can work great. The original inner game of tennis book, the, the uh, recommendation in there was to focus on the seams of the ball and nothing but that, not the point, not where you're trying to put it, not anything but just put your entire attention on the seams of the ball and that your body knows what to do. So that's just another technique, like you mentioned, to get yourself into the moment. But I will say one thing, and this, I actually read the inner game of tennis when I was uh, a teenager. Mm. And there's one important part of it that I missed <laughs> that, that, that it really, nothing works without it, mm -hmm. which is that, that uh, call, that standard, to get to the point where you can totally be fully 100% present and not literally thinking about nothing only works after you have trained yourself, trained your body, that That's it's right. totally, you're basically your subconscious and your physical body, that it knows what to do. If you, if you forget that part and just think, well, I'm just going to be in this magical, right. you know, mindful state, and all of a sudden I'm going to be playing golf at a high level, no, that's not going to happen. The, the, yeah. the, go, go, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, the question of how do you help people be positive and stuff, and my sort of framing is they will naturally be positive if they can remove the things that are causing them to be negative, mm -hmm. right? Right. This is the same thing for performance. You, Your body, your system, if you will, will perform at the level of its training if you remove the things that keep that from happening, mm -hmm. if you can first, but you have to train yourself at that level first, you have to get, you have to do that same move thousands and thousands and thousands of times to, yeah. to, to work it into your subconscious right. so that you can, you can just do it without thinking about it perfectly. And then at that point, the goal is to not think, <laughs> but at first, right. You've got to do a lot of thinking and very intentional, hard work to drill that skill to the level where you can do it um, unconsciously. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no substitute for practice, for sure. You got to, whether you're learning how to do math or whether you're trying to play tennis, uh, if you don't practice it to perfection and keep practicing it, uh, you'll get stale. Uh, the place where the mindfulness uh, that you talk about helps is, they practiced it a million times, but in they're in the middle of a court and uh, they're losing their, you know, for lack of a better word, shit, and they need something to <laughs> get it back together. So this is mm -hmm. great. Um, and uh, I want to kind of frame this all discussion in education, because I know as we are coming close to wrapping up this podcast, you know, I think everything you talked about, you know, they can apply to be at your best on tennis tennis court or golf course, but they can apply to education as well. You know, what are some of the things that, I know you're not in the business of education, but I feel like everything you talked about, removing the negative uh, 
interactions or distractions or getting into the concept of mindfulness and practice, they apply to education as well. Like, how do you see the synergies play about whether it's education or sports performance? Well, that's, first of all, I completely agree with that point. That's one of the beauties of encouraging teenagers to learn these skills to become better athletes um, is that they will make them more successful in every area of their life for the rest of their lives. Because these are the fundamental skills. You mentioned them in the intro, but you, you ask psychologists, these are kind of the core success skills, cognitive control, emotional self-regulation, impulse control. So when you think about it with, so when I first wrote the material, actually, it was more for myself. I'm a self-employed creative. My, you know, most of my work is involved in writing and strategizing and just, you know, kind of problem solving, intellectual creativity and problem solving. And my earlier life uh, was as a singer-songwriter musician, as you also mentioned. And uh, there's a lot of overlap there. So for me to perform at my highest level is, it's the same skills. It's, it's time for me to really get creative and, you know, creative, like at a level where I'm coming up with things that are completely original creation, mm -hmm. writing it, think about writing a song or something. Songwriting is very much uh, a cousin to mindfulness meditation. Here's what I mean. And you'll probably recognize this for any kind of problem you work on. Uh, if you, when you're really sitting down and thinking and coming up with ideas, you, it's this, it's this in-breath out breath, this active and passive. So you, you're looking for an idea. You're sitting there like you're in a mindfulness meditation and you're just being quiet and mm -hmm. you're just listening. You're listening for an idea. Oh, there's one. Okay. That's got some promise. And now you click into active mode. Now you're editing. Now you're working with it. Now you're playing with it and you're getting, you're, you're, you're turning it into something. You're taking that piece of clay and shaping it into something, part of your solution. And then you get mm -hmm. kind of stuck again. And you're like, oh, ah, I don't know. I'm a little stuck. And you get quiet again. And you listen. Okay, there's another one. And now, okay, I could do that. Sure. And then you come back into molding form again, right? So that is pure cognitive control. Nothing but that. You are mm. directing, intentionally directing your attention in any given moment where it needs to be. Sometimes it needs to be on something you're actually doing the thinking. Sometimes mm. it needs to be on nothing. You're doing the listening. It's pure right. cognitive control. The emotional self-regulation piece, obviously it works in a different realm. It's the emotions, but the mechanics of it are pretty much identical. You're in this place where you are doing whatever you're doing, what you need to do, or you're being the way you want to be. And all of a sudden an emotion comes up and you say, nope, not going there. And you put it to the side and yeah. the, the impulse control is the same. You are getting into the car is my one. I used to always do. We lived back back in Minnesota in the nineties. And I had this uh, big public radio addiction where like every mm -hmm. time I'd get in the car, I would turn the radio on no matter right. what, even uh -huh. though I had no interest in the show, it was just this sensory stimulation addiction. So the impulse is get in the car, turn on the radio impulse control is, you know, I'm not going to do that today. It's just yeah. that simple. I'm not going to let that impulse dictate my action. It's all the same. So whether it's academic, so for a student, you got to sit down and get this work done. And you got to block out not just the external distractions, your friends calling you, but your own internal distractions. Oh, what's happening with the game right now? Oh, I wonder why my girlfriend hasn't called. I mean, there's this, your mind is always running around looking for these things. But when you can develop attention control mm -hmm. and emotional self-regulation and impulse control, you can put your attention where it needs to be. And when it's on producing things, you can get stuff done. When it's time to pivot and be with your friends, you can set those things aside and be with them. When yeah. it's, you know, work home is the same kind of transition. Again, these are the fundamental skills for basically doing whatever we intend to do, whatever we sure. want to do. I, I hear students talk all the time. Um, not just students, but procrastination. Our kids, um, maybe your kids too. Procrastination on getting their homework done is such a massive thing. And the solution to that is, guess what? Impulse control, emotional yeah. self-regulation and, and cognitive control, right? So um, that's, that, again, the beauty. Once they get this, they want to do it because they're in sports. 
they don't want to, no teenager wants to learn powerful life skills, right? They don't need them. They don't think they need them. They're, they're doing fine. They're doing whatever they're doing. But mm-hmm. when they're an athlete, or I suppose, you know, a particularly dedicated um, student, they live every single day the truth that is there's a gap between what they know they're capable of and what they're actually doing. And that mm-hmm. the cause of that gap is their mental game. They may not think of it in those terms, but it's it's painfully obvious to them. And so mm-hmm. they want help with that. They want to be able to no longer be disappointed by their performance. They want to be able to go into a situation and stay confident and snap back quickly when things go wrong. And, mm-hmm. and you know, just make the contribution they want to make and feel good about themselves as a person. They desperately want that. So you take advantage of that take advantage of the unfortunate sounding word, but the opportunity there is to say, well, mm-hmm. here's some skills that'll help you with that. And yeah. then the good news is those same skills are the best things they could ever learn for everything they ever want to do. That's amazing. Uh, David, I'm pretty sure we can talk for hours together on fortitude, resilience, and all the things that you talk about. Parents, teachers, students, educators, uh, definitely pick out pick up this book, Raise Your Inner Voice by David Levin. We're going to leave this in the show notes. David, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We look forward to hosting you anytime. My pleasure. Can I make one little clarification? Yes, please. The book is Raise Your Inner Game. Raise Your Inner Game. Sorry. <laughs> and if they, the want to learn, if they want to learn more, it's raiseyourinnergame.com. So listeners, go to raiseyourinnergame.com. And we will make sure to leave the links to the website and also amazon.com as well. David, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Everything is a service. Whether it's finding ways to help students reach their goals within higher education, sharing medical records to patients quickly and securely, informing residential customers of an impending outage, or communicating with remote satellites thousands of miles apart. All of it requires data, integration, and communication. At End2End, we provide services that make all of these possibilities realities. And we make it faster, simpler, secure, and easier. Because we believe everything is a service, and bringing everything together is how we can help you innovate and change the world. 